So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to Ephesians chapter number one. Uh, and we're going to begin uh, our series on the study of the book of Ephesians. You know, we're, this is our midweek study, uh, our small group time where we're uh, going through the, this dynamic book. Uh, and as you, uh, we're going to begin our reading at verse number one of Ephesians chapter number one. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about the plan of God. Everybody said the plan of God. How many of y'all have ever constructed a house from the ground up? Let me see your hands if you have. You built a house from the ground up, okay? Now, when you built that house from the ground up, you had to have a vision for what you wanted built prior to you going out there and turning dirt, right? Is that correct? No, nobody in their right mind goes up there and says, well, we're going to just kind of draw this and, and bring it up. We're going we're gonna to put stuff and add stuff as we go along. You can't do that because if you're pouring a slab, that slab has to be poured and, and utilities, pipe, I mean, plumbing and, and electrical outlets and, and electrical wire and all that has to be placed in certain spots at certain dimensions from the wall or in the wall because it's designed, uh, uh, you're designing that house to be a certain shape, right? And so you cannot just go off into a nilly-willy after you decided, uh, you know, uh, you can't pour the slab and decide I'm going to put a room over here and I'm going to put a bathroom over yonder. No, no, the bathroom has to have plumbing. If you decide after the fact there's going to be a whole lot of costs involved to break open concrete, right, and to try to put a pipe in there, especially when your toilet has to flow in a toilet Anybody got uh, uh, any plumbing experience? It has to be based off of gravity. Because once you flush it, that pipe is angled to slide the water and the waste downhill to go to the sewer main or, if you're out in the country, to the septic tank. Right? Anybody anybody with me? I need y'all to kind of follow me now. There's a plan involved to build what was envisioned. And God has a plan for his church. The plan of God is very crucial for us to understand so that as we get into this and learn what God's plan is for for the church, we can have have a a vision for what God desires in his heart so that we can live it out in the earth realm. Are y'all with me today? So let's start here at the first verse of this uh, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. And we'll... Give a little background, and then we'll dig into the first part of this book. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. He says, I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and what? Peace. Let's keep reading. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be what? Holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through who? Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sin. Everybody say, thank you, Jesus. He forgave our sins. 
He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we are receiving inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his what? Everybody say the plan, plan of God. Verse 12 says, God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news, that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. Verse 14, Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and do what? Glorify him. The book of Ephesians, we're talking about the plan of God. Now, the apostle Paul, we know, is the writer of our text, correct? Paul, that, 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 that guy whose name used to be Saul, who did some dastardly things to, to try to disrupt God's plan for the church, that very same Saul who stood there and held the coat of the men who stoned Stephen to, to death, that very same Saul whose name was changed to Paul after he was saved on the road to Damascus, he's the writer of our text. Are y'all still tracking with me today? So what was his purpose? His purpose was to, to strengthen the believers in Ephesus in their Christian faith by e- explaining the nature and purpose of the church, the body of Christ. You all have heard me say this time and time again. If anything becomes detached from its purpose, abuse and misuse is inevitable. I'm going to read that again. If, you, if, if anything becomes detached from its purpose, abuse and misuse becomes inevitable. In other words, it, it's, it's a matter of time. If you, if you forget your purpose for going to work, and you start thinking that my purpose for going to work is for me to sit on my phone and surf the internet and social media all day long, pretty soon there's going to be some consequences for you forgetting your purpose. As your productivity falls, and it's been documented in a lot of cases where workflow has been diminished and the productivity is not where it needs to be because a lot of workers, instead of working are looking at social media while at work. And I know we got some guilty folks up in here today. I'm not going to even ask you to raise your hand to embarrass yourself. But how much time, how much screen time do you have at work surfing stuff that's not related to your work? You forgot purpose. Bible says whatsoever you do it heartily as unto whom? Unto the Lord, right? I promise you, whatever you think you can't miss, you can miss it. It'll be there when you get home. Say, God's watching me. God is watching how you do what you do. So when you forget purpose, even when you forget the purpose of the church, you begin to think it's a country club. You begin to think it's the grouping for my social uh, 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 cohorts to come together on a Sunday and and, and give God some praise and, and sing it and go home and then come back next Sunday. You forget that it is a discipling process that should be taking place in the confines of this building to help us to go out and become disciple believers who consistently walk in the ways of God and have kingdom impact in our homes, schools, jobs, and the community at large, we should be reflecting our faith and leading others into a personal relationship with the Savior, 
Jesus Christ. That's what we should be all about. But when you forget that, you think it's about what I want, what my desires are, what I need, what I like. And God is saying, I need you to come back to purpose. And so Paul is right here to strengthen the believers in Ephesus in their Christian faith by explaining the nature and the purpose of the church, the body of Christ. It, it's, it's sad to me sometimes when I, I read, and I read a lot, and, uh, but I, when, I, when I hear about trends that are happening in Christendom across America, where there, there are many congregations that are, uh, that are falling back from the true unadulterated word of God as it relates to how they do the work of ministry. And it's sad because God has called us to have influence, kingdom influence in the earth realm. He, you, he saved us and left us here to be his ambassadors. Am I right about it? He left us here to be his ambassadors. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is a representative of his home country. He's stationed in a foreign land, but while he's in that foreign land, he represents his country. As a matter of fact, that place where he is is, is considered a, 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 a solemn, a, a sovereign territory of the United States of America. That's why if you can just get to the embassy, they may be chasing you, but if you can... Get to the embassy where, where you're on, 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 on sovereign ground, then now you have protection. So, so, so we are ambassadors here on earth because this world is not our home. I don't know about you, but I'm just passing by. And that song says, I can't, I can't feel, feel at home in this world anymore because my home is in heaven. Do I have any witnesses up here? So, so because my home is in heaven, then I represent my home country, my place of abode, which is in heaven. The Bible says we are seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, 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 so when we look at this, Ephesians is one of the most concentrated doctrinal letters that Paul wrote. It's one of four such letters written during Paul's first Roman imprisonment. That's what I like about Paul. It didn't matter what was going on with him. He was so focused on getting the gospel to a dying, lost world that even in jail, even after being beaten, it didn't dissuade him from promoting the gospel. So here he is in jail, falsely accused. In other words, well, I guess you could say he wasn't necessarily falsely accused because he was, he was well, he was falsely accused, but he was, he was guilty of preaching the gospel. Are y'all with me today? So, so, so this, this letter here is a doctrinal letter, uh, and it's one of four such letters during Paul's first Roman imprisonment, along with Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. He wrote those in his first Roman imprisonment. Each letter that Paul wrote addressed the problem in a church or in a personal life except Ephesians. The church at Ephesus was by and large a mature church and it was growing in faith and in love. Let's go to the 15th and the 17th, 15, verse 15 through 17, with it right quick. Ephesians 1, verse 15 through 17. So this is a doctrinal level. Now listen, anytime you begin to teach doctrine, you got to make sure that you pay attention. 
Because most people, when they come to church, they want you to tell them how to do this, and how to get more, how to do this, and how to get this done, and how to be more successful. And those things are good and fine because God, God wants you to be uh, more than a cocker through Christ Jesus that loves you. But we must understand our doctrinal foundation because our doctrinal foundation should drive what we do in our everyday life. And understanding your doctrinal foundation helps you to be secure in who you are in Christ Jesus. So the enemy can't come and talk you out of your salvation. So the enemy can't come and tell you, well, you're no good. You're not worth it. God can't use you. You don't have enough skill sets. Uh, you don't have. Listen, let me tell you something. Every last one of you in here who named the name of Christ and you've been a born again believer, God has engraced you with spiritual gifting and he wants to use you to help build us. Are y'all with me? So don't let the enemy come talking in your ear telling you what you're not. Don't the enemy keep whispering in your ear telling you that, that you are beneath. Not long, you're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. Because you're God's child. Just touch that and say, I'm, I'm God's child. Watch this. Ephesians 1, verse 15 through 17. So ever since I first heard of your what? Listen to what he says about the church of Ephesus. Ever since I first heard of your what? Strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you what? Spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Now, he said, he says, I heard of your strong faith, but I'm still praying that you might grow what? In your what? In your what? In your knowledge of God. Listen to me very carefully. None of us ever get to the point to where we can't know some more about God. Because as long as we're here in this flesh, our ability to understand God in his fullness is going to be limited. We should always be in a posture of learning and gaining more knowledge about our Savior, Jesus Christ. About our God, the Heavenly Father who saved us, delivered us, set us free. I should always be in a, in a posture of learning more about my God. So that he can use me to advance his kingdom principles. Now, now, now listen to me. How is this letter structured? Well, first of all, the first section, chapters 1 through 3, deal with positional truth. Everybody say positional truth. It is a positional truth. In other words, it tells us who we are in Christ. Now, that's, that's critically important because, guys, let, let me tell you something. I believe, without a shadow of a doubt, that one of the reasons why there seems to be a uh, more of a, uh, 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 an epidemic of people facing depression in uh, all types of uh, emotional upheaval is because many people, especially believers, haven't understood fully who they are in Christ Jesus. Are you with me today? Many, and, and, and again, many believers don't, have, have not taken the position to where who they are in Christ Jesus, especially some of our young people. That's why it's so critically important for us to teach them who they are in Christ so that if somebody says something about them on social media, they don't get all upset and, 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 and want to end their lives. Because when I know who I am, I don't care what you say about me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This ain't some self-help message. This is about knowing who you are in Christ. 
So when I know that, when, I'm, when, I, when I confirm who I am in Christ, it does not matter who says what about me. From the standpoint of they don't like me or they, they don't, you know, maybe they say I, I'm, I, I'm not going to be able to do this because of whatever. I told you before, you, you missed the boat. You should have caught me before God worked in my life. Because everything that God has set my hand to do, he's enabled me to accomplish that thing because I trust him and I learn how to be a man of faith. So it doesn't matter if God ordains it and I stand in faith. It doesn't matter what the enemy don't want. We give so much credit to the devil and to other people who we say don't like us. You know, a lot of us go around saying, well, uh, 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 I'm, I'm posting this for my haters. Listen, let me tell you something. Let, can, I, can I clue you into something? Most people aren't really studying you. Y'all know what studying means? My mother-in-law, Mark Kirk, has a, her nephew is Bobby Rush. And Bobby Rush has a song, I Ain't Studying It. That means I'm, that I'm not concerned about that. Are y'all with me? Studying means I'm not, that's short for I'm not studying you. And many times we think people are studying us, watching our every move, want to know what we're doing, and most people just doing life. They're just trying to make it themselves. So don't fool yourself. Now, let me tell you something. If, you, if you're moving for God, if you're transforming life, the enemy has his eye on you. The enemy is trying to get you if you're really doing stuff for God. But the average Christian is just living for themselves and not concerned about reaching others for the gospel's sake. When you start making disciples, when you start impacting lives, when you start making a difference, that's when the enemy will come after you. But most of us talking about haters, most people don't even know your name. All right? So... So, so, so don't be preoccupied. But even if they were, why are you allowing them to dictate and determine your emotional state of happiness? I, I refuse to let somebody else determine my state of happiness. I'm going to walk with Jesus. I'm going to talk with Jesus. I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm going to give him my all. And it doesn't matter what the world and anybody else don't want. I'm going on with Jesus. So, so when, you, when you begin to understand who you are in Christ and, and, and internalize that, then now you are less concerned about what others are saying. Can I go back and read the early church? Look at these apostles in the early church. Have you read some of the stuff that they went through? And here we are crying because somebody talked about us. How about being crucified upside down? How about being thrown in a lion's den? How about being dipped in boiling oil and, and your skin peels off? Listen, we don't, we don't really even understand what persecution is as it relates to some of the things that other believers have went through. So, so, so let's get our focus back on who we are. When I know who I am in Christ Jesus, then what somebody else says about me becomes less of a, an issue. Now, when I say that, now listen to me carefully. If somebody who's in relationship with you sees you doing something that you shouldn't be doing, don't be talking about, I know I am in Christ Jesus. And you can't tell us, we need people in our lives. We are our brother's keeper, and we are to be there to help shepherd each other along this Christian journey. Are y'all with me? So, so, so let's, let's get back to the text. So 
this letter, Ephesians is divided into, into two sections. First of all, uh, the first section, one through three, deals with positional truth, who we are in Christ. The second section, chapters four through six, deal with temporal truth. In other words, the application of positional truth to our individual lives. What does it mean that I'm more than a conscious? How does it affect how I live in my daily life? I know that I am adopted into, and I've been born into the body of Christ, but how does that affect how I live every day? That's, we call this a, a, a temporal truth, the application of positional truth in life. I submit to you that if you don't fully understand your positional truth, your ability to live it out, uh, it, uh, uh, your ability to live it out in your everyday life is going to be stunted because you don't understand who you are in Christ. Are y'all with me? The, 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 in our study guide, I like what the author said. He says, he, he says this book can be divided up in the first part is talking about my blessings. And the last part talks about my calling. My blessings, my calling. Everybody say my blessings and my calling. Every last one of us here have blessings in Christ Jesus. And every last one of us have a calling on our lives. So, so, so the righteousness that we possess is brought out in the first half of the book along with eternal life, our election, uh, our, our hope, and our redemption. And the last half tells us how to be good husbands, good wives, good children, good bosses, uh, good employees, and good witnesses, right? Guys, what good, is, what good is the righteousness of God if we too holy to cook dinner or mow the yard? You know, some people are, you know, I just, I just, I'm just before the Lord all day. And I just pray and, and, and thank God for prayer time. But you, somebody got to get up and clean the house. <laughs> Some of y'all are so spiritual, you scare me. <laughs> what? Eternal life. Hear me careful. I got eternal life, but eternal life still needs to show up to work on time and accept responsibility around the house. You, yes, you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus, but you still need to support your child in school and love your spouse even when they may be acting unlovable. But, but Pastor, I just, I, you know, I, I just leave everything alone and I just get before the Lord all day. Now hear me carefully. You ought to pray, but you ought to cook and clean up too. You ought to wash the car. You ought to go to work. I remember this person one time, and, and we were just asked him, what do you do? We were talking about what you She said, I'm a worshiper. <laughs> okay, you're a worshiper. But what do you do? How do you make a living? I'm a worshiper. They couldn't find out that this person really didn't even have a, a job. Now, you can worship God and be a praiser, but, but in order to sustain yourself, you're going to have to go and, 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 and uh, either start your own business or go, go find a job somewhere. So don't get so spiritual, so heavenly minded that you know earthly good. So Paul tells them what to believe 
in the first part of his letter, and then in the second part of his letter, he tells them how to live what you believe out in your everyday life. Because every doctrine, everything that he tells them about themselves has to be and should be exhibited in what they live out in their everyday life. What do we, we learn in Romans 12 chapter? That, that the way to truly worship God is, is, by, is by giving our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, now listen, he writes this to the church of Ephesus. The city of Ephesus, just some background, it was a seaport on the Aegean Sea. And, and one of the great, is one of the great trade and commerce cities of the ancient world at that time. And it was a city that was visited by many uh, uh, travelers and businessmen and here, guys, it was built around sexual pleasure. Okay, now, I need y'all to go. Paul has already said, he says, ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I've not stopped thanking God for you. This is verse uh, 16. I've not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Now, Though this church was a maturing church, we we found out, they were also birthed and they were situated right in the center of Ephesus, which was a city that was built around sexual pleasure. What are you talking about, Brother Pastor? Well, Ephesus was most popular in the ancient world for the worship of Diana, the goddess of fertility. All right. Now, remember, you got all these businessmen and it was a trade route and you had businessmen and coming in and out of Ephesus all the time. And so when you whenever you have that type of metropolitan city, sin is going to be somewhere. Are y'all with me today? And so there was a a, a large temple built in the city dedicated to the the goddess Diana and uh, to her worship. And it drew people from all over the known world at that time. Well, why did it draw people? It was the, she was the goddess of fertility. And, and even though there were other major facilities in Ephesus, like race courses and theaters, and the temple of the goddess Diana ranked them all in popularity. I wonder why. Let me tell you why. Okay? Diana was worshipped through sexual orgies. I've shared it with y'all before. The, the temple of the, of, of the goddess Diana was worshipped through sexual orgies, and pleasure was God to the Greek culture. And sex outside of the boundaries set by God was perfectly acceptable in that Greek culture. Now, here we have the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that's been planted there in Ephesus to do the work of ministry. But as it goes and as it begins to, to reach out beyond uh, themselves, even though they were a strong church, they were faced with having to deal with a society and a culture awash in just uh, making things pleasurable for themselves with no regard for God. And I submit to you that, that we're in a similar site culture here today where it's all about what pleases me. What pleases my flesh, and, and I don't care what God says, I'm just going to do me. Pastor, you're getting ready to turn 60. You're, 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 you're a little old fast. You're fooling yourself if you think people are going to be sexually pure. I'm not fooling myself. I believe that there are, we have Christian believers who are saying, I'm going to keep myself. Yeah, I messed up last year, Pastor, but, I, but from now on, until I, until I connect with somebody in holy matrimony, I'm going to keep my flesh. 
That's what I believe. Can I move this side over here? That's what I believe. Yeah. And if you can't, Paul gave some advice about that too. It's better to marry than to burn lust. But I will tell you, don't get, just, don't get married just because you think you're going to be in the bed 24-7. Let me tell you something right now. As God is my witness... You got to do more than just make love. Sister, all sisters, single sisters, what's in his mind? What's his goal? What's his vision? What is he, what moves him? Well, he's fine, Pastor. Have you seen his muscles? Can I say something? I'm going to say it anyhow. This beautiful lady right here, and I've been married to her for 37 years. And I love her, and I love being with her, if you know what I mean. But we can't spend <laughs> that tickles somebody. I do. But we can't be in the bed 24-7. This culture, oh my time. This culture is awashed in sexuality. God created, he was, the, he was the inventor of the creator of sex. So, so sex is not dirty in and of itself. I've always told your parents, parents, make sure that you spend the appropriate time to teach your child about their bodies from a biological standpoint. Don't assume that your child doesn't know stuff that's out there. I promise you, they already know. I told you, I keep telling all this, that, that, that surveys tell us that, that most young boys are introduced to pornography as young as eight years of age. If you got a teenager, I can almost bet you, I'm, I'm, I'll take the bet, I, I'm, I'm almost 99.9% sure that they've watched pornography online. I can't be 100%, but I'm 99.9% sure. So what I'm saying is sexuality is something we talk about. So this culture was watching sexuality, but don't get married just because of sex. Because you got to do something besides staying in the bed. Now, being in the bed is good. Don't misunderstand me. But you can't say that all the time. So the church here is in this culture. Can we keep moving? <laughs> Some of y'all say, keep moving, Pastor. I'm just trying to set the, I got to set the, the, the context because Paul is going to deal with some of this later on as he talks about how we live this stuff out. A better place 
to learn it the right way than in the household of God. All right? Okay, so let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. So, um, so the, 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 you had the temple uh, of the goddess Diana there, and pleasure was the god to the Greek culture. Now remember, understand what is happening here. The Apostle Paul is actually living out the calling on his life because he was a Jew taking the gospel to the Gentiles, to the Greeks. If you remember from a biblical standpoint, you either, if you were not a natural born Jew, the Jews were the, the, the ethnic race or group. I don't even like to use the term race because there's only one race, the human race. There's only one race, the human race, but there's different ethnicities within the human race. Y'all with me? So God, if he was going to pour out of himself and be born of a woman on earth, he had to choose an ethnic group to birth the saving the earth ram through. So he chose the Jewish people, the Israelites, to birth the Savior into the earth ram. The gospel was for the Jew first and then to the Gentile. So here we see Paul manifesting his calling by taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And this is what he caught a lot of flack for amongst his own people and from some Gentiles also. So, so when we look at this, uh, God, Paul, God began the ministry in Ephesus with, with, with a great outpouring of, of the supernatural. You see Paul's, Paul's uh, in Acts 19 chapter, I, I challenge you to go read that. I don't have time to go today, but in Acts 19 chapter, uh, it tells the story of Paul's missionary journey in Ephesus. And God did some supernatural things through Paul there. Paul laid his hand on some uh, believers there, and, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues. Uh, it was at Ephesus where God worked special miracles by the hands of Paul, so much so that uh, if you look at verse 11 and 12 of that 19 chapter, uh, they would take garments from Paul's body, and if they touched that garment, they got healed. All right? Now, that don't mean that because I read that in Scripture now, I can start selling the prayer cloth <laughs> and charge you money for this prayer cloth. Now, I, I, do, I need y'all to hear me carefully. I believe in the supernatural gifts of God's Holy Spirit. I am not a sensationist who believes that spiritual gifts went away with the apostles. I'm, I believe that I can prove it, and I don't have time today, I can prove it by Scripture, that, that God's Holy Spirit still wants to work miraculous, in miraculous ways still here in the earth realm today. Are y'all with me? I still believe what James says, if any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint them with oil and pray over them. And the prayer of faith will raise them up off their sickbed. That's Bible. I believe it. Can I explain? Some people get healed and some don't. I can't. That's the question we'll ask them by and by when the morning comes. But I've also seen God do miraculous healings that was unexplained by doctors and physicians. God stepped in and healed. Here's what's missing in our churches. A trust and belief that the Holy Spirit is still active and moving today. Because there are some things that are not going to get done. We can't do ministry in our own strength. We got to start asking the Holy Spirit to fill us and to move in us. We got to be hungry for the presence of God. 
and too many believers have not hungry any longer. They're just coming and sitting and just not, not really even having a, a passionate desire to see the will of God worked out in their life. They're just here. We got to get hungry. We got to be thirsty after, after righteousness. So Ephesus is a place where uh, God works special miracles by the hands of Paul. Ephesus is also the place where Satan tried to counterfeit the moving of God through Paul by the, you remember the seven sons of Sceva? They tried to emulate and when they 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 tried to pronounce what Paul had been pronouncing and those devils, they jumped on them and whooped them naked. Didn't y'all remember that? See, if if you ain't got no power, you better leave the demons alone. There are demons, there are real demons and we as born again believers have the power of God Greatest uh, heat is in us, the heat is in the world. Their demonic spirits are real. And we better start understanding some stuff is happening because demons are behind it. And we got to learn how to, as born-again believers, amen, call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, allow the Holy Spirit to work through us, and we bind that devil in Jesus' name. I'm not going to be scared of him. I got Jesus on my side. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. So, So there's a... There's a lot, Ephesus was also, again, uh, Ephesus was a, there's a lot we can learn from the book of Ephesus about the spirit-filled life and our authority over Satan and his kingdom. It's, it's in this book, one of my favorite passages to quote, which is, it says, be not drunk with wine, KJV says, wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. So if it tells me not to be drunk with wine, I told you that's a perfect analogy. When I first saw it, I'm like, why would they talk about being drunk with wine? Because it's a perfect analogy. Because if, if any of y'all have been drunk before, I tell y'all, I've been drunk one time in my life. One time. And it was enough for me to say, I don't know what, why people do this. And to be truthfully told, I got drunk because I was just trying to be fit in with some, 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 some brothers I hung with. But I didn't do it again. But when you're drunk, and, and please, 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 hear me careful. If you have somebody in your family, or, or maybe you, listen, please, the, the excess of wine and alcohol will put you in a position where you're out of control. And if you jump in a car and drive, and kill somebody, you're going to jail. But wine, being drunk, means that I'm controlled by that substance that's in me. So after thinking about it, I told you before, it is a very appropriate uh, 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 analogy to say, be not drunk with wine, wherein it's in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So if I'm, if, if I'm drunk with wine, that means I'm full of wine. But if I'm filled with the Spirit, that means that the Spirit of God has control of my life. He controls what I say. He controls where I go. He controls what I do. So, so, so in, in this, Paul here, if we look back, uh, look at verse if, in Ephesians. Look back with me at verse number three. Verse three down to verse number 14 is really what I call a, a, a run-on sentence. Paul got to talking. Have y'all had a run-on sentence? I mean, it's a long sentence. This is really one sentence from verse three down to verse 14. But in this long run-on sentence, he op- then he opened his letter with the Apostle Paul named some of the spiritual blessings that we have been, that have been charged to the believer's account. Number one, he talks about blessings from God the Father. And, and again, 
on Wednesday. So I'm a, we're going to unpack a lot of this on Wednesday. But he talks about uh, blessing from God the Father. In other words, he has chosen us. Verse number four. Look at verse four. Let's read. Verse four in Ephesians chapter one says this. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Y'all with me there? He, he, he chose, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us where in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. He has chosen. Notice that God chose us even before he created the universe. So that our salvation is based on his grace alone and not on the basis of anything we have done. Amen. Ephesians 2, and they say, for, 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 for grace, for by faith are you saved. For by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourself is to get to God, not of works lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. But my salvation is not based on how good I am and what I did. It's based on God's grace. So he chose, ever say he chose me. Have y'all been, 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 been at the gym for a pickup game and, and you were the last one chosen? Have y'all been on the sideline and there was too many people to choose and, and nobody ever chose you? So, some of y'all don't want to admit that, do you? <laughs> I was one of the ones that was always chosen. I, I ain't bragging, but I was one of the ones that was always chosen. Uh, yeah. I was, I was one of the ones that was always chosen. So I, I didn't know what it felt like not to be chosen. Because I had a pretty good three-point three shot then. I could even dunk about back in the day. But if you ever sat there and, 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 and hadn't been chosen, well, have you ever been at the dance and couldn't find a girl who would dance with you? Or a guy who would dance with you? Anybody? Am, 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 I, am, I, am I hitting home with you right quick? How many of y'all were a wallflower at the party? All right. So if, if, if how many of you were passed over? Here we go for the promotion. You weren't chosen. So you know what it felt. You must probably know what it feels like not to be chosen for certain things. Maybe I, w- I wasn't picked over for basketball, but I looked over for something else. But here's the good part about salvation. Every last one over here. God chose us. He chose you. And each one of you all in here are special. I don't care where you've been, what you've done, how ugly it was. God chose you, and he loves you. Oh, it feels good to be chosen. He chose us in Christ, not in ourselves. And he chose us for a purpose, to be holy and without blame. He adopted us. How many of you know when you get adopted, you got the same rights and privileges as a natural born child. Can I get a witness? Some of y'all in here may have adopted a child, but we, we were adopted. Adoption is the act of God by which he gives his, his born ones, those born again, uh, really he gives us an adult standing in the family. In other words, we, 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 we're regenerated. When we, we become born again believers, then now you know, he set us to be adopted into the body, in other words, to be a, a part of the family of God. So he adopted us, which means that he makes us part of his family. He does it so that we might, you know, so, so we can be uh, entitled to all the rights and the privileges uh, that, 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 that the natural born uh, child has. Amen. We, we are adopted. 
It, see, so, so he has accepted us. Also, how many of y'all know it's good to be accepted? Look at verse number six. We can't make ourselves acceptable, amen, to God, but he, by his grace, makes us accepted in Christ. Everybody says in Christ. And that's our eternal position. So the blessing from the Father is that, number one, we said what? He what? He's chosen us. He adopted us. He accepted us. What are the blessings from the Son? Because all three of them are involved in God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Look at verses 7 through 12. He has redeemed us. Everybody say, he's redeemed me. He's made me whole. He has redeemed us. He has forgiven us. He has revealed God's will to us. And he has made us an inheritance. Again, we'll unpack this in our Wednesday study. He's, he's given us these things. He's redeemed us, guys. To be, to, be, to be redeemed means to be bought back, to be paid a price for. God paid the ultimate price for he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So I don't care what the enemy is telling you. Enemies tell them you ain't going to make it, you're no good. Um, people don't like you. I don't care what people, again, stop, stop, stop. Stop letting others define you. You are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loves you. Are y'all with me? So, so he's accepted. So he redeemed us. He forget, he's forgiven us. He has revealed God's will to us and he has made us an inheritance. And lastly, the blessings from God, the Holy Spirit is this. He has sealed us. Look at verse, look at verse number 13. Start, look at verse number, start at verse 12. Verse 12. God's purpose was that we Jews who were first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believe in Christ, he identified you as his own. Oh, my goodness. I belong to God. He identified me. He identified you as his own. We belong to God. So he has sealed us. Watch this. You know, uh, Look with me, if you will, at verse, go back to verse 13. 13 says this, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you, and when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. Verse 14, the Spirit is God's guarantee or his earnest. Y'all know what earnest money is? When you get ready to go buy real estate, any realtors out in the house or anybody that bought a house, you have to put an earnest money deposit down. That means you're serious. That, that, that earnest money holds that contract open unless you don't qualify for financing. It's guaranteed that you're going to get that at the house. It's your down payment. It's your earnest money. It says, I am bought in. I'm, going, I'm serious about buying this house. And God, Holy Spirit, amen, uh, he, he has sealed us and he's given us an earnest or a guarantee. He says here in verse 14, the spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and do what? So the Holy Spirit seals us and he's given us an earnest money deposit or a guarantee that he's got us. So when I know that, when that's resonating in my spirit, that does not give me a license to live any kind of way I want to live. That's what scares some people about being sealed by the Holy Spirit of the day. They think that that means, oh, I can just go live any kind of way I want to live. If you, if you want to live any kind of way you want to live, I question your salvation. 
And you ought to question it too. If you can live any kind of way, cuss folk out, whore around, lie, cheat, steal, and no remorse, something is wrong. So, so, so him sealing us don't give us a license to do whatever we want to do. We've been sealed. We've been adopted. We've been redeemed so that we can live holy and righteous before his face. So the plan of God has been put in motion before the foundation of the world. I'm glad that you and I are part of that plan. And I'm glad that he saved us, he delivered us, and he set us free. Let's keep learning about our faith walk. The plan of God has already been set in motion. Are you a part of that plan? Are you on the design? Are you on the blueprint? Are you there? Because one day we're going to see him face to face. When he cracks the sky, the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and then we which are alive and remain will be called together to meet the Lord in air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Carolyn, don't worry about it. You're going to see standing again. Doris, don't worry about it. You're going to see Carl again. Amen. Yvonne, don't worry about it. You're going to see that trend again. All of y'all who lost loved ones, you're going to see them again. Oh! Because my Bible tells me so. Every head by the back.